Hello and welcome back, or welcome to Thought Leaders, Future Shapers, a podcast brought to you by Committee for Ballarat, and we aim to inspire diverse thought leadership to unlock potential. I'm Michael Poulton, CEO for Committee for Ballarat, and am privileged to hear the amazing stories of leadership and innovation in our work with members every day of the week. This podcast is a chance to share those stories more broadly, in a setting that allows you to listen when it suits you. Each episode will feature an inspiring thought leader future shaper, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Proudly, our podcast partner, Runway Ballarat, are also passionate about the stories of leadership, innovation, hustle, and ingenuity through their work fostering business startups and promoting collaboration. Thought Leaders Future Shapers is recorded right here in Ballarat in Runway's podcast studio. Before we start, I acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. I welcome all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be joining us today, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today's thought leader, future shaper, is Ange Connor, director of Inspire HQ. Ange Connor, welcome to Thought Leaders Future Shapers. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. It's great to have you. And Ange, we know that uh, you are the founder of Inspire HQ, and the company goes back to about 2013, I believe. It does. September 2013 was the, the big date when I made the plunge. It's coming up to seven odd years. It is, yes. Perhaps for our listeners' sake, can you just give us a bit of a snapshot of, uh, of what the organisation looks like? Yeah, so Inspire HQ exists to build great workplaces and we do that through providing recruitment services, so helping our clients find great talent, uh, helping them provide HR services, so developing their talent, retaining and engaging their talent, and we provide career coaching services to support people in taking the next step in their career or that sideways step, developing their skills so that they can progress. Fantastic. We'll we'll talk Inspire HQ and we'll talk about your clients and, and we'll talk about business generally in Ballarat. But I'm keen to go back a couple of steps. Just tell us about uh, your background, how you got into the industry um, and where some of those initial thoughts might have been in relation to this is the work that you want to do. Yeah. So um, like many people that end up in the recruitment and, and HR industry actually accidentally fell into this line of work if you had a asked me in year 12 what I wanted to to go on and do I certainly wouldn't have said recruitment and and HR I don't think I honestly actually even knew what it was at that stage Michael so um, ironically I was between work and I went and and registered with a, a recruitment agency in Ballarat to do some temp work with them and um I did a few contracts and then they said, would I come and and temp for them? And um, for some Ballarat locals, they would remember Marshman's HR services. Um, They'd been around a a long time. So I went and started in a a temp role there, which was supposed to be for just a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, ended up staying there for eight years. And that's how my journey in in recruitment and HR started I um I fell in love with it I was really lucky I think the the stars aligned and I I found my passion so um all by luck well I guess we say that but uh sometimes there's great planning behind good luck and uh hope is never necessarily a great plan so I'm sure there's more to it than that but tell me um what was going through your mind at the time when you decided this is the sort of thing that you could do on your own, that, that it was time to branch away and, and start afresh? What what thought processes drive that level of, uh, of innovation? Mm. Um, 
It was certainly something that happened over a period of time and um, I actually completed the LBWR program in 2012 and uh, that taught me a lot about myself and and the leader that I wanted to to be and made me realise what was really important to, to me. So that program was absolutely part of the the journey. It wasn't the thing that made me, you know, start my own business, but it probably sort of started from from there. And um, after the, the program in 2012, this kind of um, idea just kept festering uh, away. And at that stage, I was working for a, a company that predominantly provided recruitment services. And I just had this thought in my mind that, and I talk to my clients about this all the time, that, you know, I can run the best recruitment process for a client, but what that client does the day before that new person starts, what they do on the day that person starts and all those days afterwards has the greatest impact on whether that person's actually going to to be a success and a good fit in that particular organisation. And so I really wanted to develop this concept around more of a holistic service offering. And so I guess that's where the idea and concept of Inspire HQ was born from. Um, and the other thing was every client that I was working with at that stage would ring up and they would say, oh, Ange, we've got to recruit again, or, you know, someone else has left. And it was such a, a burden and a negative experience for them, Michael, that I wanted to help people realise that people management doesn't have to be a headache and that people will always come and go in an organisation, but there's so much that we can do proactively to help and support them along that journey. And that's kind of where the, the concept came from. What a, what a wonderful motivation. And I, and I suspect, and having done this a bit myself, you, you go through a recruitment phase and it's a stack of resumes and it's laborious and it's tedious, but you don't always connect those resumes, those letters of application, the process that goes into someone getting to that point in time. Um, so that ability to connect to people sounds as though that's a pretty key part for you. This is this is people we're talking about. It's not just a job. It is absolutely. It, it is all about people and um, that's exactly what I love about this industry and, and why I do what I do. And the most rewarding part is helping that person who maybe hasn't got the flashest resume, but you can see their skill set and their potential and you know that they'll be a great fit for an organisation. They just aren't the best at writing a, a resume or selling themselves in a in an interview because that's not their area of expertise or, or skill set. So it's really about helping them along on, on that journey and helping that business see beyond the resume and see beyond the you know the black and white answers in a um, an interview and help the two uh, the organisation and the individual connect and align, you know, the the values and make sure it's a good fit. Interesting because HR stands for human resource and yeah. perhaps we spend too much time in the HR space and forget this is about human resource and what you've just described is a human resource yeah. um, and possibility in that is extraordinary. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think the more we can focus on and, and remember that it is about people and everybody's different and understanding and putting ourselves in other people's shoes and, and where they're coming from um, definitely helps get a better outcome. 
you've described a leadership quality there, Ange, and it's empathy. Yes. I'm interested that to have a look at the early influences from you in terms of leadership. What did that look like? What are the, what are the sort of things that stand out from those who you saw as good leaders? Yeah. And particularly, what have you tried to model yourself as a good leader? Uh, really good question, Michael. From a, a leadership perspective, I think... Um, my parents have been absolutely integral in in shaping um, my um, uh, approach to to leadership. So I grew up on a farm where I saw dad go out and work really, really hard every day, um, you know, seven days a, a week. Um, it's probably a trait that I might have picked up, not a good trait from a work-life balance <laughs> <Weekend>. <laughs> perspective, Michael. Yep. Um, but farming, I think, is such a hard industry and I definitely think I learnt resilience from my, my parents as a leader. Um, and I think also growing up in a, a rural community, seeing them involved in the community and um, the, the community really is that that fabric of being connected in a, a, a country farming area. So, you know, they were always volunteering and I think that's led me to be, you know, heavily involved from a volunteering perspective and getting involved in, um, in community later in life. Um, early on in my career, my very first job out of secondary school, I worked for a real estate company and uh, one of the owners of, of that business was a, a leader that I absolutely uh, aspired to. His passion and, and energy um, was just infectious and he'd built such a, a great team and, and culture and, um, you know, he was very much a, a really great mentor to me and I think he taught me the fundamentals of business that I still carry with me today around customer service and listening to to your clients so that you can can solve their problems um that that was embedded from me from you know one of my first jobs and I've taken that that through my career with me so I've been really fortunate to have some some key leaders to to role model um but interestingly enough sometimes I think you learn the most from the poor leaders um, and you know I've had my fair share I don't want to be like that those as well and often they they teach you absolutely about you know what behaviors you don't want to to role model and, and take with you through your career how important Ange when you are talking to clients about recruitment processes and if I think about you as a founder and director of, of your own company how important is it when you're talking with clients about what is it that they see as the values that underpin their own business and how can that reflect in their recruitment processing? Mm. It's the first thing that I talk to all of my clients uh, about, Michael, and it's a change that I've seen in the industry um, over the last sort of 15 years. And I remember starting my career in, in recruitment and it was very much more focused around qualification, years of experience, um, certificates, you know, um, specific experience performing specific tasks. 
And the evolution that I have seen is that more so today than, than ever before, I think, is that focus on values alignment. And that then comes from a culture fit perspective and we talk a, a lot about, you know, you, you can't train some of those values. They're ingrained in people and, and from that culture fit, it's more important than than the skills and qualifications sometimes. And I see more and more businesses these days employ people because they are the right values fit, the right culture fit. And if they've got that, they're willing to train and develop and help them get that piece of paper or get that experience experience under their belt. But, um, you know, you might have the, the best qualifications, the most years of experience, but if the values don't align, it's never going to work. So, yeah. Wow, yeah, um, yeah. And that, that's such an interesting insight because I think that um, your time over, or over time, you would have seen that shift, that it's, it is not just about performance now. It's not, not just about being able to do the job, that you've got to do the job in a particular way. It, it's a tough thing to sell, I would think, to a client. It, it can absolutely be a, a tough thing to, to sell to a client and, um, you know, even just, uh, it, I guess it, it happens every day and I had a, a meeting earlier with a, a client and I was putting up a candidate to them and I, I said to my, my client, now you're going to read this resume and you're going to think, what is Ange on about here? Because you're not going to see the, the skills and experience that you're looking for. Um, and I often re- refer to these candidates as my wild card candidate and I said, but, you know, this is a candidate I think you absolutely need to, to meet with and these are my reasons why. But um, you can only do that if you know and understand your client's culture and their values, which comes back to working with them at, at yeah, the start yeah. and understanding what is going to be a, a good fit in that regard. Um, and I think it's a, an education process for the, the client as well, helping them understand um what are the the values and and what does good look like in their organization so that you can define it and build it into a recruitment strategy and an advertising campaign so that we attract the right people from the from mm. the start we see Angela lot um, to that the the story behind people the story behind an organization it's no longer just enough to be a bank it's actually a lifestyle uh, that you're promoting that there's a whole narrative that sits now around businesses and I'm interested in how you would go about trying to find out what that narrative is because what you've described is you as, as the I guess the recruiter having to have a really strong understanding of the values of an organization that that doesn't just come by looking at balance sheets that just just doesn't come by looking at what's immediately obvious to us at the shop door so how do you go about digging a bit deeper to understand what that central narrative to an organization is and how that impacts on their values mm. I think um I've only ever recruited in in Ballarat in a, a regional market, Michael. But um, having a um, an opportunity to see and experience businesses, um, you know, within the community, I think helps you paint a, a picture of an organisation, and and you hear you know good things and and bad things about every organisation. So it even starts back there at, at that early stage, but. Um, 
you know, from our perspective, it's about doing some research and, and looking at key messaging and branding from a website to a social media um, page through to talking to everybody in the organization. And I don't mean we literally go and, and talk to everyone, but, you know, I'll deliberately get to an appointment early and sit in reception and talk to the receptionist. Yeah, and yeah. it's amazing yeah. what you can, you get. Yeah. <laughs> can get. And then you go in and sit at the boardroom table and you talk to the, the CEO. And again, you get a, a bit of a different perspective. And, um, you know, wherever possible, you might talk to that departing employee and, and see, you know, their perspective and then the actual line manager. So it's like putting together a, a jigsaw really and, and gathering all of this information. And um, I think it's a, about absolutely number one, just listening. And then the other thing for me is asking the, the good questions um, and asking them, you know, tell me more about that. And, and why and it just is constantly um, you know what I call unpacking um, you know that that values and, and culture and understanding the history of where an organization has come from because that's very different from a you know third generation family business to a, a new startup um, to more of your your corporate so understanding that that bigger picture I think the other critical piece is where do they want to go in the future I'm always talking to my clients about, okay, this is your need now from a people perspective, but what does this look like in three months' time or six months' time? Or what if you grow? Or what if you did win that contract? What skill set would you you need then? And um, we talk in, in business a lot about our strategic plans and then we have our, you know, our profit and loss and our budgets and we do that annually each year. And I talk to my clients about, and what about your people plan? Where's your people strategy? Because to achieve that that budget or to achieve that um, strategic plan, it's the people that underpin that. So if we're forgetting about what that people plan looks like, we're recruiting for the here and now and not thinking about the longer term. So we're not setting the business up for success or the individuals. So it's lots of different facets to it and coming at it from very different perspectives. And if we're serious about thought leaders and future shapers, as we are, and we're here talking about it today, that's pretty central to it, isn't it? That it is about the people. It is about how you're preparing your people, how you're developing your people, how you're helping bring the best out of out in them. And what I'm hearing from you is as a leader, that's something that you're inspired by is how do I get the best out of my people? Mm, absolutely. Um, one, you know, with my clients, but two, even with, with my own team, um, I, as you said, coming up seven years, I never thought that I would have grown to, to be, you know, as big and, and have a small team with me. But the success of, of Inspire HQ is absolutely down to, to those team members and, and they shape what we do every day. And good segue into every day because one of the things I've really enjoyed from Inspire HQ in this last little while, and I'm sure that others of uh, other listeners are thinking the same, is your daily tips, tricks, and thoughts. Yes. To me, there's um, there's a I guess there's a cute bit of marketing in that. Here's my way of getting my brand out there. But yes. most importantly, I think what you're talking to is community. You're talking to try and assist a community at a time of, of of difficulty, at a time of real hardship. What are your thoughts? Where where's your thoughts come from and, and how do you tie in this sort of tips, tricks and, and oh tips, tricks and 
thoughts. Into this sort of sense of community, what's the link there in terms of the daily connection you're having with the the, the sense of community that clearly you have? Yes. Um, when COVID first hit as a, a team, we sat around and thought, okay, you know, what what can we do? Um, and yes, there's absolutely a, a, a branding element to our, our daily email. Ultimately, we wanted to help and support the, the community around us. There was, from what we were seeing at that point in time, a, a lot of panic, a lot of uncertainty and unknown and we just felt that we could contribute with one some key information and um, trying to keep that as simple as possible because we were all being overloaded with emails that were so long and detailed that you couldn't make head nor tail of um, but then we wanted to also have a really light-hearted focus that you know trying to bring some joy and um, fun to to Mm. someone's Mm. day to help them start on a a positive note because, um, you know, there was times when myself and all of my team, you know, you start your day and it would be like Groundhog Day, here we go again, Mm. work from home, Mm. you know, trying to, to do what we do and just sometimes getting those little pieces of inspiration to to start your day with a smile um, was something that we felt we could do to to help our our community whether they were clients of Inspire HQ or um, whoever they were in the the community and um, you know one of my proudest moments is that we've had so many people contact us and say a friend shared this can I go on your mailing list and you know they're not going to be clients of Inspire HQ or they're not looking for work but they just want to share in that little bit of inspiration each day so I think if we can do that and share that in in the Ballarat community that's something we're pretty proud of well thank you for doing so and I do enjoy my daily opening um, <laughs> thank you and there is some funny ones from time to time and I've enjoyed <laughs> some of your laughs but there's some really helpful little tips and really timely too and and you know without going into details about any, any particular ones I think clearly a lot of thought goes into what that message for the day is going to be how how it's placed um, the time it's placed in and so forth. So well done on that. It's a fantastic initiative. Oh, well, thank you. And again, I can't take the the credit alone for that. We've got um, a team member who's very clever in the um, in that space and she's uh, really enjoyed running with, with that project. And, um, yeah, she's done a magnificent job. Yep. Ange, Leadership Ballarat Western Region, we know it as LBWR, you were a participant in 2012, it's a while ago now, that program has, uh, this year is its 15th year running, about 30 odd uh, participants through that program each year, clearly a, a flagship program for Ballarat and community leadership. I wonder if you can offer a bit of perspective on it, particularly to the thoughts you have about how it's prepared you to be a leader. Mm. I think reflecting on my uh, time going through the LBW uh, program, going into it, I had really no idea what to expect it at all. And um, I remember sitting at the opening retreat and thinking, oh What's my about? goodness. <laughs> um, and, you know, there were some amazing people sharing their journeys and, and their stories. And I was thinking, mm, am I in the right room here? Um, you know, it was a, a bit um, overwhelming. And 
I guess it, the thing that really sticks with me from the the program was just um, the opportunity to get out and better understand the community and um, you know challenges and issues in the community and to really open your eyes to thinking about the longer term implications for for some of those challenges and and issues. I, you know, I thought going into that that I had a pretty good understanding of community because of the um, area that I worked in from a recruitment perspective and was out dealing with businesses day in, day out. But it did make me realise that you can really become quite insular in your industry and in your your workplace. So having that opportunity to to step out and see things at the coalface was really, really powerful. Um the opportunity to meet other participants who are just amazing and have the most incredible stories and, you know, learn from them and, and be challenged by them as well. You don't often get that from, you know, the clients that you work for. It's a, a different kind of relationship. So have met some fantastic people um, and still have those relationships today. Um, and then even the the learning partner, um, I was fortunate to um, have Bill Wood as my learning partner and he was just absolutely incredible um, and just helped me learn so much about myself and push me outside my, my comfort zone. Um, but it really did open my eyes to the much broader community that I lived in and worked in um, and gave you the opportunity to really think about, well, what role do I want to play in helping shape that into the future? Because I can just go along and I can do my job every day and, you know, I can... Um, hang out and socialise in, in Ballarat, but, you know, what what input do I want to have to, to what Ballarat might look like in the, the future? Um, yeah, it was a really great experience. You'll be, you'll be pleased to know that Bill Wood is still a learning partner for yes. LBWR, and um, I think the experience those have with Bill is very much what you've described. So, um, again, I think one of the great beauties or one of the great beneficiaries of the LBWR program is the capacity for it to connect with some really good people in town who just have absolute um, passion for trying to build community leadership and, and understand their community. So um, thank you, Bill, if you're out there listening. Yes, thank you, Bill. You've uh, absolutely had an influence on my career. And you're heading towards, we're heading towards the future now. Um, Ballarat is a growing region um, and you know, 200,000 people is not unrealistic. For some, that's scary. Um, for others, there's great opportunity in that. Can you give us an insight into what you think a community needs to look like that is thriving, prosperous, with, let's say, 200,000 people in it? What, what does Ballarat look like from a thriving and pro- prosperous perspective when you think about population at that level? I think oh, I'm certainly going to absolutely start with the the jobs element, Michael. Um, it's obviously my my area of passion, but I think you know that kind of population that's exciting. You know, I, I think from a a job creation and new industries and emerging industries that um, Ballarat can really tap into uh, just leads to endless possibilities and then the opportunity to 
bring talent to to Ballarat because of those opportunities. Um, it really excites me. I'm probably a a bit of an unusual Ballarat local in that I finished VCE and I never went to Melbourne or the Big Smoke or wherever it was to. Um, work to to get other opportunities and I see so many people do that and and then come back later in life and I think about that population growth and the opportunities that it just then keeps creating for Ballarat locals to be able to have such a fantastic you know career here in Ballarat we we don't have to lose great talent to bigger cities to get that experience um so I think it's really exciting from a a jobs and industry perspective um from a thriving community perspective I think it's then about how we you know continue to engage people in the the community I think um livability is is such an important factor in in that as well I um you know, there's so much about Ballarat that I love as far as the ease of getting around town and access to facilities and how do we manage that with such huge population growth, but um, how we, we keep people connected, I think, is, is through initiatives, um, you know, our, our sporting and um, our arts and, um, you know, all those kinds of things to have those opportunities for people to come out of their workplaces and, you know, be um, out enjoying what Ballarat's got to, to offer is critical. So thinking about, you know, how we continue to, to develop our city and, um, and keep it unique. Um, so what is it that does make us different from Geelong and from Bendigo and, um, you know, those other places so that, we, we've got that sense of or our own sense of community in, in Ballarat. So, so is there anything you can put your finger on about that? You know, what is it for you that is different in Ballarat? What, what's our differentiation? What's our point of difference from Geelong and from Bendigo? Look, I think for for me, it's absolutely the lifestyle and the access to the fantastic facilities and um you know, we I think we've come such a, a long way with our hospitality venues and, and that lifestyle, um, you know, from much earlier on in, in my career, there wasn't that hub in Armstrong Street where you, you could go out and enjoy a, you know, quite a different meal. So I think those kinds of things really set us apart and finding and helping to continue to to develop those kinds of opportunities but you know our sporting facilities um even just our tracker around Lake Wendouree it's you know such a an icon here in Ballarat and um you know, I, I do a bit of running and there's so many facilities that, you know, you, you can just go for a run on some amazing tracks uh, around Ballarat, the Skipton Rail Trail. Um, you know, the, there's all those little things that are kind of um, hidden gems a little bit. And that's what I think, um, you know, we've got to keep promoting and um, making sure it can, stays with, you know, from a development perspective as we continue to, to grow. Yeah. There's um there's a there's a sense of a growing diversity in Ballarat and, and you mentioned Armstrong Street the different styles of restaurants now um, how do you see in the workplace this notion of diversity both in terms of what it contributes to the workplace 
Um, but also, I think, in terms of the opportunities that it offers to employers and employees. Where do, you, where do you see, yeah, where do you see diversity sitting in a broader employment landscape? Yeah, I think it's a, a critical piece to a, a workforce and I think there's so much more awareness around diversity and um, there's many clients that, you know, I'll have a conversation with and they'll say, did any females apply? Or you haven't shortlisted any females. Were there were there many female applications? And um, you know that's just just one example. And I think businesses are so much more aware of that diversity now, and are really striving to build that into to their workplaces because they see and have experienced the value of that diversity. I think sometimes um, one of our biggest challenges is as a regional city is getting that diversity to the the interview table as such. So uh, how do we do that through a, a recruitment strategy? How do we make those kinds of opportunities uh, appealing to attract a, a broader, more diverse um range of candidates are applying it's absolutely something that we talk about all the time with the clients that I I work with and um, I think businesses majority of certainly the ones I work with understand and appreciate the value of having that diversity you know in the workplace at the the boardroom table to get that different perspective and and see it through you know a, a different lens um yeah. We're sitting here today at the Runway Studio, um, mm. and I think one of the, <clears throat> the driving thoughts behind Runway was that capacity to bring people who work in different fields in a co-working space because there's collaboration, there's inspiration, there's innovation that comes from a diverse range of thinking. And perhaps sometimes we think of diversity too much in gender or race sense, Um and not enough about diversity of thought. So how in, in the recruitment phase, how in the sort of sense of shaping businesses for the future, do you encourage this diversity of thought, of, of uh, cross-discipline approach to thinking and, and problem solving? Yeah, um, it's probably a, a bit more of a, a challenging one, absolutely, Michael. Um, even from, uh, I guess, you know, a, a HR perspective or um, a, a rep- recruitment perspective, if, um, you know, we are doing recruitment, it's about getting different perspectives and um different thinking around the interview table because they see different opportunities and how they uh, assess different skill sets from a HR perspective. It's with HR initiatives, we look to try and make sure that we've got different thought leaders from all levels of the organisation contributing to a, a project so that um, you know, we just don't have the general managers sitting around the table or we just don't have HR sitting around the table because what we might think from a HR perspective might be very different to the way, um, you know, someone else in IT or engineering sees it. So bringing, um, you know, that diversity to the table to work on projects and to contribute to ideas and, and innovation, um, I think is absolutely critical to, to diversity. It is, and, I, and I, I just love the thought and, and you'd like to think that employers are um, 
far more inclusive in the way they consider both recruitment processes, but also the way they, they look at the skills and experiences they need in their organisations. Because as we said earlier, sometimes it's, it's, you're too quick to jump to the technical, the tactical, the kind of the doing pieces, as opposed to really thinking of what, uh, what goes in behind this. And that's where perhaps creativity really sits. Mm. And I think we've still got a long way to, to go, but I also think, um, you know, we've, we've come a long way. Um, again, certainly thinking back to the early days of my recruitment campaign, uh, recruitment career, sorry, um, I've seen a, a lot of change in um, the thinking uh, around diversity, one from having different thought leaders and um, perspectives at, at the table through to gender and, and race diversity. So I think we've come a long way. I still think we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to put you on the spot here and uh, it might not be an answer that you can come to straight away, but if there were, if there were two things that you would want our city leaders to embrace as part of a future of Ballarat. What do you think they'd be? I think the the two things for me, Michael, would be to absolutely make sure that we're supporting our startups and our small to medium businesses. I think they're the lifeblood of Ballarat. Um, we absolutely need our, our big businesses, um, but I think from a, an innovation perspective, I think Ballarat's got a massive opportunity to, to continue to, to grow and, and innovate from a, an industry perspective. And I think startups are, are critical to, to that um, and making sure that we've, we've got that support to make it as easy as possible to, to do that. Um, and I think my other thing would be around the livability of Ballarat and um, how we plan from a, an infrastructure perspective to to keep Ballarat, um, you know, in a sense as it is now, that easy accessibility to, um, you know, move from one place to another suburb to suburb or um, business to, to business, um, you know, to from an infrastructure perspective and livability perspective to keep our CBD alive and, you know, still develop our, our little hubs in our Lucas and Delacombe Town Centre and that kind of thing. I think, you know, the thing that I love about Ballarat is it's it's easy to live here. It's it's accessible and I, I personally would hate to, to lose that from Ballarat. And look, I think you really hit the nail on the head from a committee for Ballarat perspective in terms of livability and just how important that is to the future. So when we do start talking about 200,000 plus people that we don't lose so much of what it is we love about the place and hats off to our city leaders who plan streetscapes that are wide, that are vast and they've got amazing trees. Um, you don't want to lose that. You don't want to fill the streets up with cars. So how do you find ways to ensure that we get more people around the city efficiently and effectively without necessarily uh, just putting more and more cars on the road. So um, I'll take that one forward to our city leaders and thank you. It's very close to our heart. Oh, good. Thank you. Ange, I have one last question and it's a little bit esoteric and it's one that I ask all our guests on our, our podcast and also our webinars. But uh, I want you to finish this sentence for me. Are you ready for this? I think so, Michael. The sentence starts like this and you've got to finish it. It all comes down to? I think it all comes down to 
us as individuals stepping up to the plate, being brave, um, having an opinion, following our, our hearts to help shape Ballarat or whatever it is. Um, if we don't do anything, nothing happens, nothing changes. If, if you don't ask the question, the answer's always no. Um, so I think it all comes down to, you know, us as that individual and then collectively we can, can influence and, and create change. But as an individual, you've got to be prepared to step up to the plate, back yourself, have a go, be brave. Ange Cotton, what a wonderful answer. Um, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you this afternoon. Uh, I am very lucky to sit in this chair because I do get a chance to to see and hear the amazing things that our businesses around Ballarat are doing, the amazing things that our leaders around Ballarat are doing. So thank you for what you do. Uh, it is important and I just love that answer you've just given. So thank you very much and uh, we look forward to seeing you some more. Thanks, Michael. It was great to join you. Thank you very much.